Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Jay Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we are recording episode 77. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, A Gift from Adversity, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And after I experienced all of this, I decided to publish and share my story. But even after I decided to start a podcast to share, to create a platform to talk about adversity, but not only that, tools that people use to overcome and a gift that came from it. And really the purpose behind is so that we can really normalize difficult conversations and share our tools for not only us, but for our next generations to come. So today we have a guest all the way from Italy. Hi Heather, thank you so much for coming into a gift from adversity today. Hi, Juri. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, Heather, can you please introduce our audience, who you are, what you do, your website and social media handles? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Heather Emerson Smith. Um, I own the business WTF Positive Parenting. So I'm a parenting coach. I really help families learn how to understand, how to listen to each other, and really connect with each other. I know a lot of parents are worried about, are my kids doing the right things? They seem really anxious. They seem really stressed. How do we work through all of this? And so I help with a lot of that. So you can find me on Instagram at WTF Positive Parenting. And that's also my website, WTFPositiveParenting.com. Great. Thank you so much, Heather. And then you said you are originally from America. Where are you originally from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Colorado in America. And then my husband um, works overseas. So we're living in Italy right now. So how is Italy life? It's okay. So the first six months were both like the most thrilling and the most strange like months of my life. It was really, you know, like if you're moving, I mean, even if you're moving to another state, right, you're still getting used to what grocery stores are there. But now we're getting used to, okay, grocery stores, but in another language and what brands do we like? And so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but it, I mean, of course, there's challenges anytime you move, anytime you go somewhere big. Yes, Absolutely. I love Italy. I went there twice. Once was a conference that I had through my nonprofit work, Genuine Voices, and then once was to visit my best friend who was studying at the Bologna University. I love it. I love it. I love it. Good. All right. So, Heather, um, so let's dive into our first question. So, what was your adversity? Yeah. So, um, August, on August 2nd, 2018, I got a call from my dad saying, you know, Heather, your brother. And I was like, what, you know, what about him? Is he okay? Is everything? And it was, no, your brother, he's gone. And so I found out that day that my brother had been murdered. So um, that was heavy. That was a lot. He's my younger brother. Um, he's about 
two years younger than me. And it was just, I mean, we're in our mid, we were in our mid twenties at the time. Right. And so just to, to hear that it was so unexpected, right. You hear of accidents, you know, a, a car accident, of course, anything like that, but you don't expect murder. Right. Especially when there's no like connection, you know, like it was, uh, it was just wrong place, wrong time, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, dealt with um, my brother. Um, we were in another state at the time. So then we had to deal with, okay, we need to go back. We need to go work through like his estate. We need to go work through, which at 25, you know, um, wasn't a lot, but it was still all of these, all of these different things never had thought about, you know, um, death seems, at least in my experience, felt so far away in my mid twenties, right? It felt like such, it felt like something that happens like, oh, you're older and that's when you start thinking about it. So for me to all of a sudden have to face, you know, face a lot of this reality was just, and then of course there's, you know, grieving for my brother. It was holding a lot of space for my parents. It was, I have young kids. It was, how do I begin to have this conversation, you know? Um, yeah, so it's a big. So you said August second, two thousand eighteen. August second, two thousand eighteen. Yes. Yep. So how old were you, and how old was your brother? My brother. Oh my goodness. Um. So I two thousand eighteen. I was about twenty seven, twenty eight, and then my younger brother was twenty five almost 26. Wow. Very, very young. Very young, very young, very unexpected. So, um, pre-interview that you kind of mentioned about the domestic violence part of it, would you yes. share how he was martyred, if you don't mind? Yes, uh, yeah. Um, so at the time he was living with um, his girlfriend, he was right in between apartments. So he was staying with her just for a little time before he moved into his new apartment. And um, his current girlfriend had an ex-husband. And so this ex-husband believed that he was told by a divine being that it was his responsibility to end the life of his ex-wife. And so my brother was there at the time and um, he, I mean, initially the ex-husband came with a sword, like a machete, and they were able to, you know, fight him off and they called the police and there was a big ordeal. The police left several hours later after filing police report, everything that happened. And then they weren't ever able to find the ex-husband and then the ex-husband came back later that day but this time he came back with a gun and so at that point um he shot my brother he also shot the young lady his ex-wife um she survived and then there was one other young lady in the house and she was hiding at the time and so he after that he left and then um we found out later that he committed suicide yeah quite it it was just uh i mean and then you have to think like 
you know, if he hadn't been there, you know, like, like, would he still have the emotional burden of his girlfriend, you know, having been murdered? And then you just think about like, just all the different could haves, you know, like, what could have happened? What, what if things were just slightly different? You know, what if um, the police had stayed longer? What if they had found him? You know, just all of that runs through your head. And how close were you with your brother? Yeah, so we were very close growing up. Um, at that point, I had, I was married, I had two kids, we were living in another state. So we talked, you know, but it's like, there was still, of course, distance, right? We, we lived in different states. I talked to him, you know, and we always saw each other when I came back to visit. So we were close, um, we were very close, but it wasn't, it wasn't a... We, did, we I mean, we just talk every day, you know what I mean? So it was, a, it was a very typical sibling relationship of, hey, how are you? Good, okay. You know, and then I was, um, I'm a mom, you know, I have two kids, I have a husband, and I was very, you know, I was busy. So um, we were close, but not every day <laughs> talking close, uh, yeah. And did you have any like warning sign about this um, relationship that he had in the Attention to the danger of like red flag or anything. Yeah, no, not at all. And in fact, we really liked this young lady. We still like we're still Facebook friends. Like, there's no like hard feelings here. There's no like how there's no blame. There's no blame, right? Like you can't control things like that that happen at all, right? That's not that's not within our ability to. And so no there wasn't there was no indication of oh this isn't something or this isn't someone he should be with right so you can't we we didn't know so your brother um like first time when the police came like the mm -hmm. I, I can't believe that he came with the sword you know uh, i don't understand how the police did not arrest him right away and then yeah right and that's where we have like i have a really hard time because one i heard the story secondhand you know so i obviously i wasn't there um and two we do not understand why the police made the decisions that they made right we don't understand why they weren't given and taken to somewhere else. We don't understand. I, I believe they could, they were looking for him, but they couldn't find the sex husband. But I'm like, but then there's a lot of the questions of, well, why didn't the police stay closer? You know, if they knew there was violence happening, you know, there's just a lot of what ifs and there's a lot of whys and there's a lot of frustration there, you know? It's just so crazy that um, sometimes, this violence obviously is um, very sudden and then unexpected and the things can get very escalated and I've experienced that myself. And one t one moment that you think the perpetrator is taking a break, but mm -hmm. you don't know that they are planning something bigger. Right. And um, like say in Japan, like for instance, like we have earthquake um, drills, and then the first shake that we hide under the desk at school, mm -hmm. drill, and then the bigger one comes, so we actually escape in between. Mm -hmm. But in domestic violence situations, and 
some tragic tragic event like this. I've heard I'm a journalist and I've covered many stories and heard many stories that it seems like there's a cycle that people missed the red mm -hmm. flag. And then you just don't know how these crazy people can escalate suddenly and then right. burst to this page and actually right. right. yeah so first of all i'm very deeply sorry for the loss of your brother right. and i'm really grateful that you are here with us and sharing this story because you are not unfortunately the first person to share this information about losing the loved one to a domestic violence yeah unfortunately yeah. So um, after your brother's death, it's been about four years? Yes, it's been about four years now, yeah. How is your mental health, um, how is your um, household situation after his death? Yeah, um, so there was a long time where, of course, there's grief, right? And and for for me, a lot of grief really showed up in the loss of what could be, right? There was a lot of I wish I could text and I can't. There's a lot of I wish we could have seen, you know, I wish we could have seen him get married. I wish we could have seen him have kids. I wish we could have seen what the rest of his life looks like. So those for me it was a lot of the loss of what could be, which I found very interesting. Um, of course, I miss just talking to him. Right, dismiss sending a quick text. Um, my my son reminds me so much of my brother. Like, and I just so bad wish I could be like, guess what? You know, your nephew did today, and I can't. And that was that was really hard. I, I think of all the things, that's the hardest, the hardest part. Um, but grief, grief is. I think I, I faced my journey in kind of a different way of where instead of saying no grief you can't be here. It was a lot of, okay, turn around and let's face this head on and let's feel through this. Right. And so for me, it's been, my mental health um, has been a lot stronger than I thought it would be. You know, um, I did work with a therapist for six months. I, I worked really hard and I told him from the beginning, like, I don't want to shy away from this. I don't want to run from this. I don't want to avoid this. Like I told him, I remember telling my therapist at one point, I was like, this is something that I was given to carry, whether I wanted it or not, you know? And so how do I carry this well? You know, how do I, how do I hold this emotion? And so, yeah. And so mental health has been, grief has been a lot about accepting, you know, accepting that I can't change what happened and wondering what if doesn't help me in any way at all right? you do you wonder what if but it's not going to me sitting and going all the different over all the different scenarios doesn't change what happens there was just a lot of acceptance a lot of really coming to terms just with all of it so we're going to talk more about the tools that you use to overcome part of it but before we move on to the second question, yeah. I want to ask a little bit about today. I know you got a phone call and then you kind of briefly mentioned that you have to deal with a lot. And um, 
for people who's never experienced the sudden death of a family member like that, and then the phone call and then the weight of that phone call of disbelief. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of disbelief, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then your mental stage and everything. How do you recall that specific moment, like when you got phone call and then got explanation actually how he passed? Yeah, so um, I got a, the phone call from my dad um, and it was, you know, my dad's crying and I don't think, I, I think I've seen my dad cry once. You know, so I'm knowing, okay, this is something big has happened, right? And so I'm listening to my dad explain, your brother's gone, you know, something happened, he was killed, you know, and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. And then I remember hanging up. I remember calling my husband, like, like yelling, like, Zach, please, like, come here. And he's like, I don't usually, I'm not normally one to normally, like, raise my voice, so this was kind of a big deal for him. And then I remember my husband just absolutely just going, okay, here's her. We're going to call. Like, let me help you take care of this. And I remember kind of being a little numb for a little bit of just like, kind of like, okay, what I went into, what needs to happen? Like we need to get, I remember like sitting on the bed and telling my husband, it's like, okay, don't worry about it. You stay with the kids. I'll fly home. I'll take care of all of this. Right. And just kind of being a little bit more like stoic and going into how do I fix this? How do I take this on myself? And I remember him saying, no, we'll go together as a family. We're all going, you know, and I was like, but you don't have to face this. I have to face this, you know? So it's a very like instinct was like protect, like hold, I'll take all the burden. I'll take all, you know, all of it on myself and I'll make sure that they're not involved in this. And that wasn't, you know, fair for them. That wasn't fair for my daughter, you know, to go through her grief cycle for my even my husband to go through his own grief cycle and so it was just this the initial reaction was okay gotta care for everyone gotta stay strong you know gotta be and and, and maybe it was the mama instinct with just having two young kids um maybe it was being you know i'm i have five siblings all together so i was the second of five you know and so it was a lot of okay gotta take care of the younger siblings now gotta go help my mom, gotta go help my dad, gotta go take care of everyone. And so it was just a lot of very numb. It was a lot of, I've got a job to do now. And the singular focus was I need to get home. I need to get, take care of the estate. We need to get through the funeral. And it was like, I didn't really allow myself to really think or feel until after. There wasn't a lot of tears like I expected. It was a very, it was very practical. I was very stoic. I definitely numbed. That was my first response. Where I allowed myself to feel. And how long did it take you to feel? Um, I let myself really work through my grief. I let myself really just sit and experience all of it probably about a week after we got home from everything. Once everything, once all of the like, okay, everything's kind of been settled now I can, now I'm allowed to be sad about this. Now I'm allowed to be angry about this. Now I'm allowed to, you know, so it was, it was definitely, it was hard. That was a lot. That was a lot kind of all at once. I'd just been holding, it's like I was holding my breath and finally I was like, okay, go, you know? Okay. 
I know uh, everybody deals with the death differently and mm -hmm. I can't even imagine and what you went through, it's not fair and it should not have happened. And I think with the magnitude of sibling's death or uh, maybe a close one's death to domestic violence, mm -hmm. violence itself, there's a lot of questions that you will never get answered. And then you get puzzled in your head and what if, like earlier you were saying, what ifs? Mm. And did it affect your sleep? Did it affect your maybe eating or daily life? Um, I worked really hard so that it wouldn't because I, there, like, I immediately was like, I need to make sure I have support. I need to make sure I have a good therapist. I need to make sure. And again, the whole thing was, I have babies. I have kids. You know what I mean? I don't want to be checked out. I don't want to numb myself from this. I mean, I did. That's like, I wanted to, but there was the reality of, if I numb myself to this, I also am going to numb myself to joy. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to numb myself to the life that's happening around me now. That's how I felt at the time. So it was this very, like, I, I don't want to say I wouldn't let myself. It was more like, I, I didn't want to go through what I felt was the way everyone else walks through. And that's not fair. That was such an overgeneralization at the time, but I was like, I don't, I didn't lose sleep, um, but I worked really hard to, if I wasn't feeling tired, if I was feeling emotion, what is it? And identify it and journal and, and work through it, right? So um, no, because I worked hard to not, to not get to that state. Who was your brother's dreams and then what was he like when he was alive? Yeah, my brother was, the funniest person I have, I I know, and still one of the funniest people I know. So he's very stubborn. He's very, very smart. And he was so funny. And so he was, Jacob was a very like caring person. So he's the person who would like find the kid who didn't have any friends. And Jacob was like, come on, you're like, he always kind of found the like the odd kids out and was always friends with them. And so I mean, Jacob struggled with, with with a lot of things, but then he also had just, he's the person who took care of everybody. Um, and he was funny. And like, I remember um, being really sad and upset once. And he's like, come on, let's go do something together. And he he really recognized when other people were upset and hurting. It's like, come on, you know, I'll, I'll help cheer you up. His, his way of cheering you up was by being really funny come on we're just gonna go you know go enjoy something we're gonna go enjoy life we're gonna go look at butterflies we're gonna go find something fun to do and so he was a he was such a great kid and i miss him a lot thank you heather for sharing that sounds like a huge loss to our world So I really appreciate you sharing this. Um, I just walked 
that a fashion show mm-hmm. with other domestic violence survivors. Mm-hmm. Love Life Now Foundation. And uh, my friend Mabon Bonan is also a domestic violence survivor, very close to getting killed as well. Wow. And then um, myself as well, I was, I thought I was going to die uh, when my father was physically abusing me. Luckily in Japan, we don't have much access to guns. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it, was, it was more of beating and kicking and all that. But still, the child was a tremendous um, pain. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, um, I just want to really appreciate you and your brother find the story together and I want to shout out to my fellow models that raised seven thousand five hundred dollars the night that we walked together as a model of Love Life Now Foundation as a domestic violence survivor and then let me tell you when we walked before that in the backstage we had this like sense of Unspoken empathy and love towards mm-hmm. the and mm-hmm. the hairstylist and some uh, of the volunteers backstage for the crowds. And uh, some of them lost the family members of the three men who lost their family members, cousin, mother, aunts, wow. and brothers. Wow. We all together. So, Fortunately, this cycle needs to end, and that's what we were trying to do. And then, what was impressive was not only that, but one the event that I attended, all men were encouraged to come front, and it was called White People's Event to pledge against violence and then saying that. Violence is a set of sequences that they were echoing together, and that was very powerful. And then also, yeah. it was powerful from the men's perspective. Right, right. Violence, you are brothers as well. That a lot of men, one of the um, survival of the most violence from the modeling uh, fundraiser, um, he said, especially men don't speak up about. Yeah. 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 No, he's not here with us. But I think he's speaking to us. Yeah. This message that whether men or women that we face this mass violence and that's um all that the soul shines the world you and your message is yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. And and I think that's it's really important to to share the story and share like this is hard. And I remember the first few months after my brother's death, I remember being really like unsure of how to share his story. Right. Because I remember thinking, oh, what if this is too much for people? Oh, what if this is too too much information? What if I trigger them? What if I activate them? What if 
it's, and I was like, no, I get to share his story. I still get to speak my truth about this, you know, and for some people it will be too much and it feels really uncomfortable, but I mean, goodness, if it feels uncomfortable for them, I was like, how do you think it feels for me? How do you think it feels for me walking through this? You know, so it is really important to share our stories. It is really powerful to share our stories and to raise awareness for this and say, okay, how do we get better? How do we get better at this? How do we get better at noticing the signs? How do we get better at caring, honestly, for men's mental health, you know, for women's mental health, of course, obviously, and kids, but also for men. Absolutely. Well, Heather, let's change our question to the tools that you mentioned a couple of things, uh, like going yeah. to therapy and uh, really uh, checking out for your children and stuff. But before you answer the question about the tools that you use to overcome the adversity, I just want to mention that all of our guests on this podcast really, really spoke um, wonderful tools that you they use to overcome. And this is one of my favorite part of the show. What happens is a lot of people who never been through university, they just say, okay, just go get a therapist and be fine. And it's not like that. It's an everyday struggle. And then it's just unbelievable amount of hoping that we have to go through. So what is the tools that you think that it works the best for you in your case of lesser level? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, there are so many. And you're so right when you say it's not just a, oh, I'm just going to go to a therapist once a week and things will be great. It's no, it was a daily, sometimes hourly, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? Um, so the first and probably the one of the ones that helped me the most was I had a really good friend at the time, a very, very understanding. She's just the type of woman who just knew how to hold space for you. And she was absolutely someone I, with permission, relied on, right? It was still a, do you have space to listen to what I have to say right now? You know, can I go to coffee and cry right now? And she was a lot of, she was just, she was there for me. So I had a really, really, really good friend. Um, I was really able to talk through a lot of things with who I, you know, was able to really lean on. And my husband was the same way. Um, my husband had experienced um, a death of his mom when he was really young. So he knew a lot of the same emotions I was feeling. So I was able to really share with him on such an intimate level of this is how I feel today. Like, this is what I'm going through today. And he understood just in a way that I just am so, I mean, grateful for. So, so grateful for, obviously, wish he hadn't lost his mom. Um, but it was, for us, it was really, really, really powerful. So number one for me was those really core people of, I feel so safe trusting you. I feel so safe letting and sharing every part of me and all the feelings that I have. Um, second was therapy. therapy and I, I got into therapy right away. I knew that I was going to need to work through tools. I knew I was going to need to ask questions. I knew I was going to need to process through all of this. And I knew I had to take care of myself so I could take care of my family. Um, So therapy was really powerful for me. I did uh, six months very specifically of like grief therapy, you know, um, very specifically of focusing on 
How do I hold grief? How do I work through grief? How do I work through all of this? Um, journaling was a really powerful one for me as well. Anytime there was the moment where I was like, I wish I could tell my brother this, I'd write it out, right? So I'm like, hey, Jacob, you know, guess what happened today? You know, or anytime I was like, I wish I could call you and ask you about this, I would write it out as if I was writing directly to him. That was really powerful for me. Or anytime, like, remember you were like, did you sleep? Anytime I started to feel my thoughts really building up and getting really worried, I'd sit and write them out before bed and just write anything that was like, what's on my mind? What am I upset about? What am I angry about? You know, what's going through my head? So journaling was really powerful. Um, those are the main ones. I'm sure there were others. It's hard with grief sometimes. Things can get a little fuzzy, right? You're kind of like, how did I how did I get through that? Um, those are the ones I really powerfully remember. Um, it was just a lot of, you know, honestly, it was a lot of really understanding and acknowledging my emotions. It was like, oh, I'm getting triggered for no reason. What is, like, why am I mad that the dishwasher wasn't, like, this dish wasn't really clean? I'm like, okay, that's anger. Okay, anger, why are you here? And was really stopping and noticing what emotions are in my body and then saying, okay, anger, you're welcome. You're powerful. It means there was something I really cared about. How do I now work through it? So it was a lot, it was a lot of that. A lot, a lot of that. As you state all these tools, I was trying to write on the comment section um, and that people can maybe apply for these things. And I like the journaling part of it because obviously you can't have the actual conversation with your brother. Then the journaling part of it, I think yeah. that might really actualize and then kind yeah. of. Um, tangible way yeah when you're talking to him mm -hmm. um but reflecting what's going mm -hmm. on i think it's important mm -hmm. yeah and how do you identify your emotions like so well like say you mentioned about trigger and then say dishwashers and like a mm -hmm. lot of us especially for me when i was yeah. Growing up, I never had these resources of mental health, coping mm -hmm. skill, PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, did you have those tools prior to your brother's death that you were able to kind of understand or apply? Um, a little bit. I'm. I really think because the more I talk to people, the more I realize. Uh, you know how some people are just, some people are good writers. Some people are great, you know, at soccer. Some people are great at, they have so many people have all these different talents. I think one of my talents really is understanding emotions, right? I really, and I, it feels like such a weird talent to have. You know what I mean? I, I like say it out loud sometimes. I'm like, is that really? But no, I don't, I'm not going to doubt myself about this. Um, But I just, it's always been something I've instinctively understood and I've always had such a great empathy and understanding of others of oh this person's sad not just they're not just sad they're sad because and then going and taking the steps back of but why are they sad what happened to them and so I did I just in just my natural curiosity in my readings I've read a lot of psychology books just 
on my own, just because there's been a like a deep curiosity there and and uh, wanting to know more and uh, you know, and so it it was some of just stuff I'd picked up in books, different books I've read, just through my own life experience. And I mean, we did some of it in therapy, but it was a lot of just knowing that every emotion I hold is important and recognizing it in myself. And so, no, I don't always know which one it is or why, but it is still, I was, it was always a stop, notice, breathe, what, what's really going on here? You know, and uh, I'm just curious. That is kind of um, the tools that you use to you you you're using to apply for yourself. But mm -hmm. how about maybe a community awareness aspect about domestic violence, mm -hmm. sharing stories. How about those tools? You know, I really didn't start sharing my brother's story outside of family and friends until a few months ago there was something that just really was like okay it's time um it was it felt really personal for a long time and like i said i really struggled with and and maybe this goes back to just being an empathetic person um i really struggled with what if this story is too much for other people you know what if this is overwhelming for other people you know, what if I then have to share my story and then comfort them because it was too much? Do you know what I mean? So there was a long, a lot of, a lot of working through that. A lot of, um, I remember going to a party once and someone was like, how many siblings do you have? And I was like, well, four, but one's passed on. And I'm saying, what happened? And sharing the story and watching them go, oh, and not knowing what to say. And I felt uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And so there was there was a lot of that for a long time. So I haven't shared a lot of this story. I haven't gone to domestic violence outreaches yet, but I'm starting to now. And I think this is kind of the next step of my grief journey. This is the next step of what what do I, how do I take this powerful story? How do I take my brother's, um, what he did, his sacrifice really, and how do I make sure that we can raise a generation that's aware of it and so we can all do better you know i agree with you uh, and thank you so much for sharing that and um so i always tell people that there's three stages i would say victim survivor and advocacy mm -hmm. and people go through these stages mm -hmm. and i think i'm at the ad advocacy part where I have this book, have this podcast right. and space for other people. Right. And really the goal is to, like what you said, bring awareness and prevention yeah. to our next generations, our children, yeah. especially. Yeah. yeah. That how do we prevent this? How do we give them more lessons and coping skills that mm -hmm. in my case, Three decades of depression, not understanding, right. self doubt, and right, right, don't know what to do. But yeah, so I think what you're doing right now, coming to my podcast and maybe sharing your story to other platforms, or maybe mm -hmm. to I don't know what's out there in Italy, 
but maybe mm-hmm. human awareness, awareness um, yeah. agencies or something that yeah. maybe the goal is to not have a victim like mm-hmm. a brother in mm-hmm. like what if that we talked about what yeah. if this guy who killed him mm-hmm. killed what if his mental health was checked early right. on? Right. He was growing up. What did we fail? What did right. the school system fail? Right. For him right. to trigger to kill somebody that he doesn't really right. know. Right. Did they get, right. get A to Z? That right. In in an intervention as a society, how were we able to? help him so that right. he could kill your brother. And those are right. the big questions that we right. have. And we right. can be the change for our next generations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. And I, there is the wonder of, you know, what if he, what if this guy had a friend who was like, whoa, this is things you're saying are not okay, you know, hey, go, let's take you somewhere where you can get some extra help or some extra support. You know, what if the school system had caught on early, like, hey, this guy struggles with this and this and this, you know, um, and he was able to get support. What if his parents had been like, you know, and taken him to therapy? You, you wonder all of these things and you think, okay, great. Now, for our children, how do we begin to have these conversations? How do we begin to catch some of this, you know? And just where do we where do we start? You know, how do we how do we make this normal? You know, uh, it's normal to go to therapy. It's normal to ask for help. It's normal for a friend to say, "Hey, that's not okay," and call out some behaviors. So Heather, I'm a journalist, as I mentioned, and recently I wrote an article about mental health, and then the mental mm-hmm. health professionals came to our public school, high school mm-hmm. parents, that kind of professionally trained of how to identify the mental health mm-hmm. like, in high school. Yeah. And some parents, I wanted to be denied to insert wow. for the newspaper because there was stigma. And there's like so much that we still have to work hard as a parent, as a mom, and like you said, the conversations that we should have with our younger children. And I truly believe that this as a whole, if we work really hard, we can prevent. And yeah. really, your brother's life, as funny and as caring as he is, Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I really appreciate you sharing your tools, and I would definitely share this podcast with some of the survivor of domestic violence that I've known personally, and yeah. I really appreciate you being brave and being vulnerable with us. Yeah, of course. And and I think it starts there. I think it starts with all of us being vulnerable, right? Of like, this is how, and, and finding the right people, of course, we can't always share our story with everyone. But it's just starting that conversation of, 
this doesn't feel good. I don't feel good. You know, things don't feel right. And then where do I go? Right. It starts with us being vulnerable. It starts with us admitting that things are hard. It starts with us saying, you know, okay, things don't feel right. Where do I go now? You know, it starts with us sharing. Absolutely. And I want to share something personally with you and with the audience as well. So I was a piano player for Joe Kennedy III. Um, so this is when he was running for the state Senate for the first time in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. He's moving the ladder in uh, political um, ranks. But he had said something that's so impactful during his speech between when I had to play piano, he said, as a Kennedy brand and family, that I had this privileges growing up, that when, when I did the Peace Corps in Dominican Republic, I met somebody who's the same age as me. And he would never catch up to the knowledge and privilege that I had in my life. Mm -hmm. Now, thinking about that, the reason why he's running for the politics is because he believes with the knowledge and brand and privileges that he had that not only I can make a change within you, but the systematic that I can make an impactful ways to improve our next generation, the generation. And uh, I believe that. I do too. Yeah. And I had a, you and I are not politicians and we're like moms and, you know, no. yeah. Being an advocate and then being a podcaster and journalist, filmmaker, TV mm -hmm. I truly believe storytelling can have elements of making an impact on somebody's lives. And advocating your brother's story here, maybe can reach out to some politicians and then maybe some people who are powerful that mm -hmm. knows how to change the system like what we about mental health check at the school system yeah early on how do you catch that how do you catch yeah. this signs mm -hmm. of people who don't, don't kill people like right. how can we like help them well, yeah and i think like for me most important is like man what was going on in that young man's Brain, that things felt so hard, that things felt so heavy, that he felt like this was what he was supposed to do. You know what I mean? There's there's just this, what if he was really suffering a lot too? And there's, there's that side of the like, what if we can just help so many more people just feel better? What if we can just begin and it's, what if we just start young and start saying it's okay to talk about these things? I, I think about that a lot as well of like, what if, what if we had caught this young in this this man? How much happier would he have been? You know, what if he had, had had such a better life because people had reached out on his behalf? You know, I think about that a lot. Well, Heather, thank you so much. So let's move on to the last question, which is a gift that came from the adversity. So how would you share with our audience a gift that came from this adversity? Yeah. Um, hmm, what a great question. I think it's just the, and I think you'll, anyone who's been through really tough times in their life will talk about the gift of understanding how wonderful 
on how fragile life is at the same time. Um, just the just the beauty in the small moments because when I think about my brother, I think about I love the small moments we had together. You know, those are the ones that I miss. The small the text messages, you know, the eating breakfast together. It's these small little things that we do daily that we take for granted. And because I lost my brother, it's it's like this like, oh, I love having breakfast with my kids. Oh, I love my walks in nature and looking around and it's like it's like I was over here, you know, and like so busy with all the things I had to do and his death brought me here. You know, where it's just very like, whoa, life is incredible and it's amazing and it's fragile and it's wonderful. And and I'm so lucky that I'm here and I'm so lucky I'm going to soak up every moment. Thank you so much, Heather. Um, last request for you. Yeah. What if somebody's going through the same adversity as you? What do you think your biggest advice can be? Um, I think it can be so uncomfortable to start to start to share your story, right? It could be. It can. You can feel like. Maybe you feel like I do, where it's like, what if this person feels uncomfortable when I share? What if they don't know what to say? And you're so worried sometimes about sharing with other people that you hold things in. I would say, go find people who are willing to hold space for you. Go find the people who are willing to sit by you, even though they don't know what to say. They're willing to just sit next to you, right? And go find those people and begin to talk and work through and even if it's messy and even if it's not good and even if you don't know why start sharing start saying what's on your mind and just find those really really good people and um it's it's okay that it's uncomfortable it's okay that you don't know where to start just start well thank you again yeah um this was very meaningful conversation and all of my podcast guests so far have been very meaningful uh, this yeah. week at home. And I'm sorry again for your brother's loss. And Jacob or Jake? Is that Jacob? Um, he went by Jacob, but I think mostly, I I know him more as like Jake, you know, like he's very, very, a little more casual. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like Jacob <laughs> when he was like being honorary, but it was like Jake. It was, it was really what we all called him. So as I close this podcast today, I want to say thank you to Jake and you, Heather, that um, sharing the story together. And then yeah. you, I got to learn about his personality and his caring character and deeply sorry for the loss. And we are going to carry his legacy. And then as at least moms, um, in us even that in our power to make sure this will never happen to anybody and we'll make sure we check in our mental health as well and we sustain our well-being as a mom and as a person so we can continue sharing our stories yeah thank you so much for having me and thank you for giving this space where people can share and we can begin to explore and talk about this and normalize it. So thank you for your podcast. Really, really what a, I just, I love it so much.
Thank you, Heather. And thank you for our audience. We have a lot more guests coming in. I'm very appreciative. And um, we continue to have the dialogues. Have a wonderful day.